0: Overdraft fees are just the worst. Get up to $200 in fee-free overdraft with a Chime checking account. Sign up today at chime.com slash goals24. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot Me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply.
1: Welcome to the Sixer Sense podcast, hosted by CoSite site experts Lucas Johnson and Christopher Klein. Hey, everybody, we're back. This is the Sixer Sense podcast with your host, Uriah Young and Christopher Klein. We are here to talk Sixers, all Sixers and nothing but the Sixers. Chris, what's going on, my man? Not much, not much. What's going on with you? hey I am excited there's a lot of great things to talk about with the sixers with all the management moves and I've actually been diving back into the last dance documentary on Netflix and it's just got me ready for some basketball
0: nice yeah uh, that that's one thing I, I still need to watch I, I, I have admittedly not 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 watched it yet but I'm excited to dive in at some point I, I'm sure it's great i you know I love mj I love love all that stuff so I'm sure it's Sure, it's worth watching. You know, you know me. I've just been watching other movies. <laughs> um,
1: Chris, it's, it's Chris, been... and all of the all of your obscure movies that are going to win Academy yeah. Awards at some point. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, just <laughs> movies and research for a paper that I have to write. That happens to be about movies, so it's mm-hmm. been my week.
1: <laughs> what's What's that paper? What is it? What does it entail?
0: Uh, I'm basically comparing *His Girl Friday* and *The Philadelphia Story*. So two very fun comedies from 1940. If anyone wants a good old movie to dive into, I would recommend both of them.
1: I'm assuming they're in black and white. Yeah,
0: they're uh, <laughs> both got Cary Grant, who's always fun. James Stewart is in the Philadelphia story; he's great too. Rosalind Russell and Katharine Hepburn are the two female leads. Both great movies.
1: Well, I think if we go back to the the last dance with the bulls and their dynasty. I think you being a movie buff and just really understanding the importance of narrative and just bringing everything together. When you see it, man, it, it, everything in my opinion, which makes it so classic is the way they have the timeline and they, they, they go back in time with the bulls in terms of each player getting drafted and then going forward to their last year, 97, 98, and then kind of moving back and then forward. And then everything meets in the middle. Everything, the, the soundtrack, the interviews are very enlightening and entertaining. So, yeah, when you get a chance, you'll, you'll check it out and you'll appreciate the behind-the-scenes stuff, as well as basketball.
0: Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about it. It just hasn't hasn't crossed my screen yet, but it's on the list. And we're going to talk Sixers now, because as you said, it was a very uh, exciting week. A week that elicited some happy emotions, which has been a rarity for the past few several months uh, especially in the Sixers fandom but even in the world in general of course that's because the Sixers have agreed to terms with Daryl Morey to become their president of basketball operations he will now take charge of that front office obviously Morey spent 13 years with Houston had the second winningest record over that span behind only the Rockets won a lot of games with him in charge obviously went through a number of superstars a la Yao Ming, Tracy McGrady, Dwight Howard, James Harden, Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook, you name it. Very exciting news. So to you, Uriah, if you could use one word to describe your feelings about Maury taking over president of this team, what would that be?
1: I would go with the word relieved. And the reason why I say that, Chris, is because we've been waiting for months for the owners of the Sixers to do something when it comes to a a management move. And a lot of people are saying, oh, everything's kind of backwards where they hired Doc Rivers. They hired a coach first. And then, of course, they have Elton Brand still in the mix, who also signed an extension recently. So the fact that they just made that decision and they were able to get Maury, who has a ton of experience, who knows the league has a very unique aspect in terms of how basketball should be played based on small ball, as we know. And, but I like the fact that he, he pulled the trigger on some very important moves. You mentioned earlier Yao Ming, Tracy McGrady. But for me, when I think about what he did to get Harden away from OKC, and then, of course, the move to get Chris Paul from the Clippers, those moves in particular tell me that he can do that here for the Sixers. And to have him in the front office, making pulling all the right strings and making all the moves to make the Sixers better, I'm I'm relieved. What about you?
0: Yeah, I I think you're dead on. I think that's a, a great word, a great way to phrase it. And I like I I think relief is a really yeah solid term. I think with this front office for the past year or so, we really just haven't known who's in charge, who's making these decisions. Which are very clearly not good decisions, and all indications seem to be that one person could be leading one thing one day, and another person could be leading one thing the next day, and so on and so on. Too many cooks in the kitchen is the old adage that really fits for what what we've seen with this team for a year, year and a half, two years now, going back to when Colangelo was fired and Brett Brown was elevated to interim GM and all that mess. So Maury is... Someone who is not going to take a job with the team unless he has, you know, control. He he could have gotten pretty much any job in the league that he wanted to. He could have probably gotten a lot of high-paying jobs outside the league. So he came to Philadelphia, I assume, with, you know, assurances that he's going to have say in what happens. Final say, probably, and that ownership is going to spend. And we know ownership is going to spend money. They haven't necessarily spent money in the right places these past few years, but Doc was probably the most expensive coach out there. Maury's probably the most expensive exec out there, and they're going to have a really high tax bill. So if there's anything to take (laughs) solace in, it's that we know they have a competent guy up top now who's going to lead and who is not afraid to pull the trigger on big trades and who knows what he's doing, which Maury's probably one of the three or four top execs in the league, hands down. And we know that ownership's going to spend money, and they're going to let him hopefully kind of take the reins and lead this team where it needs to go. So I think relief, I think excitement are all valid terms. I, I, It's just really positive, I think, news. And like you said, they have a direction now. I think the franchise was kind of treading water in a very bad place, and more can kind of help steer the ship in the right direction, hopefully. So I, I do think there's a lot to be excited about there.
1: Yeah, the key word you just said, Chris, is direction. And it seemed like we weren't really figuring out as fans where this team was going. And I definitely think they have a direction now. I would just hope that there's some type of hierarchy. We just know that, like you said before, no one knew who was in charge, right? When Jimmy Butler left and even Al Horford and other players who have played for the Sixers the past four or five years, people would say, We don't know who's in charge or I don't know what my role is. Well, with these basketball minds on the bench and in the front office, I I would hope and I would assume a strong assumption that there will be a hierarchy. There's going to be a hierarchy of who's going to make the decisions and who has the final say. Let's move on, Chris, to something particular relative to specific people and what this particular move means to the organization. So I'm going to throw some names out to you because we're going to talk about what Morey's presence means for a few players and, of course, some people in the front office. So what, in your opinion, Chris, does the hiring of Daryl Morey mean for Elton Brand?
0: I mean, if you just look at Brand's trajectory, it's been kind of weird, right? So he was basically GM of the G League team. Then he kind of comes out of the blue after Colangelo gets fired. He gets to take over that front office. But very clearly, that was still c- the group that Colangelo had around him. He didn't get to hire his own staff. I think part of the agreement there was that it would be a collaboration, that he would work with all the same guys who were there before, and that it would essentially be a continuation, at least philosophically, of what they were doing with Colangelo. Colangelo just wouldn't be there. And you have last season... You know, he pulls off the Jimmy Butler trade the season before last. He pulls off the Jimmy Butler trade. He pulls off the Tobias trade. The Sixers get to seven games in this conference semifinals. They very nearly beat the eventual champs. Things are looking very up. Things are looking good. And then it kind of falls apart. And obviously a lot of that falls on Brand's shoulders because he was the GM and the personnel decisions were not good. But part of that is also that it was very clear that he was not the only one with decision-making power. Alex Rucker, who is now out of the building, finally was pro- seemed, by all indications, kind of right on Brand's level in terms of decision-making power. You had Ned Cohen, Brett Brown, all these other voices in the room that probably weren't letting Elton do what Elton wanted to do. And we get to this offseason. The Sixers get swept out of the playoffs. Brand is given, by all indications, more control at the beginning. They're like, all right, we're going to figure this out. We're going to set a solid hierarchy as you mentioned earlier and elton's going to be the guy making these decisions he's going to lead the coaching search he's going to do all this then it doesn't really seem like he's leading the coaching search and now after spending the entire offseason talking about how they're going to move away from analytics essentially and dropping all these hints to the media about you know scapegoating analytics and bringing in more quote-unquote basketball minds they end up hiring daryl murray who's like the leading voice on analytics in the nba and all of a sudden he's number two Pretty firmly in the hierarchy again, <laughs> and he has an extension, so he's here to stay. It's been a very weird couple of years for Elton. I, I, I've been pretty vocal in the past about saying the Sixers really shouldn't have kept him on board. He hasn't done anything to earn uh, his his keep, but you know he's here now, and he will be reporting to Daryl Morey. And that, I have I'm much more comfortable with that arrangement than I would be with Elton and the same guys who were here before. All reporting up to Elton. So, uh, what it means for him is that he just doesn't have as much power as he did last week. And, <laughs> uh, I mean, the reports from like ESPN and the Athletic were that if Brand wanted to leave, he could have gotten a job elsewhere. That kind of surprises me because it's just he has. I mean, it's clear that people around the league like him, but he hasn't really done anything uh, to prove his aptitude as, as an executive, but he's here, He signed an extension, and he's just going to be the number two now, so we'll see where that goes, it obviously means P- Peter Dinwiddie is now number three, and a whole lot of other changes uh, that, that we pre- really couldn't have foreseen a couple weeks ago, when Maurice, by all indications, was a pipe dream, so it's a very big change for Elton, a very drastic change, and I'll be interested to see what the reports are as far as where his voice stands in this, in this new setup.
1: Yeah. It's intriguing to get an idea of where this is going and brand as many moves as he's made. And a lot of people have been giving him some criticism and rightfully so dropping all this money on, on particularly Tobias Harris and Al Horford. But you got to consider brand is well-respected around the league. He's a former player. He attended Duke university so, he's no dummy. Clearly, the guy has some for basketball sure. knowledge. So, I'm just concerned in terms of how he's going to adjust. And you figure Morey has all this has this reputation. He has all of this uh, attention on him. He's had it on him for several years. And then, of course, you bring in a future Hall of Fame player, um, actually, probably future Hall of Fame coach in Doc Rivers. And so it, to me, he's kind of stuck between these these two guys who have this these outstanding reputations. And he himself is still kind of green. I mean, like you said earlier, he was coaching or he was in charge of the Bluecoats, right? Being a general manager in the G League. So it'll be interesting to see how Elton does. Let's move on to another person in the organization, another recent hire for the Sixers. What does the hiring of Daryl Morey mean for Doc Rivers, Chris?
0: Um, You know... Frankly, I mean, I don't think it means much in terms of the power or, you know, what Doc's role will be in the organization. Obviously, him and Maury have, by all indications, a good relationship going back to when Maury was in Boston before he got hired over to Houston. So they, they've had a relationship going here for quite a while. Uh, it seemed like Doc was very supportive of the Sixers hiring Maury. And I'm sure Maury's is very supportive, supportive of Doc being a head coach because he's a great coach. So I think. Maury will presumably empower Doc to do what he needs to do as head coach. He obviously empowered Mike D'Antoni to take a lot of risks when he was with Houston. I think he'll do the same thing with, with Doc because the Sixers need to get creative. I think he'll build a roster, hopefully, that is more suited to Doc's uh, you know, philosophies and style than this current roster is. I, you know, I'm assuming he'll go out and get more guards. He'll get more shooters, hopefully. Uh, that's just needs to be the general plan. But with Maury, I think we have a much better chance of them actually going in that direction and making the moves that need to happen. And I, I think it's just all positive for Doc, who obviously is very comfortable in his position. He's, not, he's on a five-year deal as well, so they should both be around for quite some time.
1: Yeah, I think Daryl Morey, if he's going to be the president of basketball operations, he's clearly the leader in the organization. And when I think of any leadership position, whether it's basketball or education or government, you got to figure there's two things going on with leadership. You have, and I, I look at it as like your left hand and your right hand. Okay, so your right hand of leadership Uh, it it basically is why you are doing something. So if you're a leader of an organization, your right hand is, it's, it's the most powerful hand, the dominant hand, and and it's why you are doing what you're doing. Why are the Sixers going to compete for a championship in the Eastern Conference? Why are they going to have a certain philosophy or a certain way of playing? So Maury has that responsibility. And on the left hand, you have the idea of leadership of uh, the management piece, the management of how things get done and when they get done. And if Maury is, is coming to this team and all this hype, then I think for Doc Rivers, I think Daryl Maury has to really come in with the management piece and giving Doc Rivers what he needs. And I know some people are saying, well, that's Elton Brand's job. He's the one that's going to be hiring players. I, I, that's true, but it starts at the top. And if Maury has the vision for this team and he equips everyone from Elton Brand down to Doc Rivers, he's going to make sure that they get everything that they need, including a a coaching staff, Mm -hmm. which we'll get to later. So that's what I think. I think the management piece is giving Doc Rivers the pieces to to be successful.
0: Yeah, and and Maury is going to have final say, you know, on signings and trades and personnel moves. Exactly. That's that's all going to go through him. So, you know, Elton... Whatever his role was before, whether he really truly was given final say in the coaching search, whatever, you know, that's gone. This is gonna—he's gonna have a voice. He's gonna have say in what happens. But he's—he's reporting to Daryl Morey now. This is Morey's front office. So any moves that happen from this point forward, we can probably, you know, either blame or celebrate, you know, on Morey's behalf. Whereas last season, we weren't really sure if we could put all the blame on Brand because we didn't know if he was actually making the decisions. Now it's Maury's team. So I, I do think that's important, and I do think he will build to Doc Rivers' taste. I think I think that he, that's one of his strengths as a GM is understanding who his coach is and putting players on the floor who who fit that coach's
1: yeah. Uh, philosophies. Yeah. So let, let's turn over, Chris, to some players and what this Maury move means to – particularly the two stars. And it's it, it it really opened my eyes this week in terms of how much of a lightning rod this guy is because you have all these analysts now coming out saying, "Oh, the Sixers should move Embiid now. The Sixers should trade Ben Simmons." And let's talk about what Embiid where he stands with this new president of basketball operations. What does this mean to Embiid's game or even his future as a Sixer?
0: Yeah. Look, so obviously Daryl Morey in Houston very aggressively went after the the small ball, right? He built around James Harden and eventually Russell Westbrook, before that was Chris Paul, and he built that roster to explicitly complement mainly, though, the talents of James Harden. That's why Houston went small. It wasn't because he didn't think centers were useful. It was because the best way to utilize James Harden and to get the most out of him and Russell Westbrook is to space the floor and let them attack in isolation. Let Russ put a crap ton of pressure on the rim cuz the second half of last season before he got hurt before the bubble, you know, threw guys off for a few months, Russ was killing it in that space that floor. He was averaging over 30 points a game the second half of that year after January. And James is doing James Harden things. They built that roster to specifically complement stars so obviously joel and Bean and ben simmons and Bead specifically is a very different lead star no he's not going to trade him for russell westbrook Jalen rose anyways please no um but yeah maury has had other kinds of stars in the past he was the guy who brought dwight howard to houston it didn't entirely work out but dwight wasn't terrible in houston and Kevin McHale was the head coach. Obviously, a big man's coach, you get him a big man. He's done things like this in the past. He had Yao Ming when he first got there. Mm-hmm. He's had other kinds of stars. He's built other kinds of teams. He's not just gonna, you know, send away everyone who's over six foot seven because he likes analytics. That's just not how it works. Embiid is a great player, and he puts a ton of pressure on defenses. He anchors the Sixers' defense on the other end. Analytically, he, he impacts winning in a huge way. And Maury, as well as anyone in the league, is going to appreciate that. He's going to appreciate the fact that the Sixers need more shooters, that they need to space the floor around him, and that they need to probably get someone who can run the pick and roll to get him easier looks at the rim and take pressure off of him so he doesn't have to post up with four non-shooters around him all the time. <laughs> He's going to make it easier on Embiid. That's going to be the goal. I, I think Maury's going to take the stars that are on this team and try to build a team that can win with them. Now, two years in the future, you know, maybe we can get into a discussion about whether they should stay together if it's not quite working out. But for now I think the plan should be and I think the plan is is to build around Joel and to build around Ben, who we're I believe gonna get to here in a second. So I don't think this is bad for Joel or anything, or I don't think it means we're gonna have to suffer through a Russell Westbrook Ben Simmons pairing because no. this, because Maury really likes guards that have played for Houston before. I, I just don't think that's the case.
1: There's a there's a name, Chris, that we can connect Joel Embiid to when it comes to Dara Morey, and we're talking about Sam Hinkie. So when I, I think about Embiid and and what he's thinking right here, right now, the night before the big press conference, by the time people listen to our podcast, they'll probably be playing the uh, press conference live. But Daryl Morey, when he was in Houston, he was hand in hand with the philosophy of what Sam Hinkie was all about. And once Sam Hinkie came here and Embiid and became part of the process or actually was the process himself, there's that bond. And, and from what I understand, they still talk, maybe not as often as they used to. But Hinkie was interviewed just the other day, and he definitely has an affinity for the Sixers still. And I think Daryl Morey coming from Houston, being connected to Sam Hinkie, I think that'll give Joel some confidence in terms of where his career is going to head, knowing that Daryl Morey will have a vision and has experience of making certain plans execute. Now, what about Ben Simmons? Let's dive into him uh, specifically. What do you think Daryl Morey's hiring means to Ben?
0: Yeah. So we had an article on the site. I did not write it, but it's a great article that everyone should check out. That's said essentially that Ben Simmons is the perfect Daryl Morey star. And I know you, you don't agree with that, so I'm excited to hear your take on it. Uh, <laughs> but it's true. It, it, it is, in fact, true. I think Ben is the kind of guy that Morey can get behind. You want to talk analytics and his three-point heavy style in Houston. Ben is an extremely efficient finisher at the rim. And he creates more three-point looks for teammates than practically anyone in basketball. And that has been without a ton of shooting next to him for most of his career. So if anyone is going to please Daryl Morey in his style of play, if any one star is really going to you know, make his years perk up, it's going to be Ben Simmons. Like that's, that's Morey's bread and butter, right? Is shots at the room, efficiency, <laughs> and three-point creation. Ben does that better than pretty much anyone else. Whether he can do that at the highest possible level next to Embiid is yet to be be seen. Probably not. I think they both take away from each other's games to a degree. I, I don't think anyone would ever deny that. But I do think, I've said this in the past, that they can win a championship together. I think it's a successful duo. And again, Maury should build around them. And I think he will try to build around them. But yeah, I think I think he's going to love Ben Simmons. And I think... This is going to be nothing but positive for Ben in terms of who gets put around him and the type of offenses, offensive groups that get built. Obviously, Doc is going to have some say in that as well. But I, I think this is Ben should be very happy with Daryl Morey in in the leadership chair. Uh,
1: in my opinion, when it comes to Daryl Morey and what Ben Simmons <laughs> should be anticipating, he's probably very curious as to what this team is going to look like, obviously in terms of personnel and players moving forward, I still think let's take that square peg and try to force it through the round (laughs) hole. And, you know, whether you're – you could bring in Pat Croce or you could bring in Jerry Reinsdorf from the Dynasty Bulls. You could bring in Red Auerbach. Let's go back to the Celtics, right? They would look at this team and say, (laughs) we have to do something. And and you have to – It's going to be a tough decision because you still have Embiid, who's a a big man. He's not going to change his game but so much unless you radically make him into the next, uh, a much more talented athletic version of, um, uh, who are the big brothers out in Milwaukee?
0: The Lopez brothers?
1: Lopez, yeah. I mean, unless they have that vision for Joel to make him the next Brooke Lopez and let Uh Ben run free, okay, that might work. But right now I'll stick to my guns. I don't see it happening. And I think Ben is, I don't think he's going to change unless Doc Rivers and Sam Kinsell, unless, yeah, Doc and Sam Kinsell come in and they, they do some type of special therapy on him and help him get out of his own head when he's outside of 15 feet. Uh, so I think this hiring to me, it favors Embiid more than Simmons, unless, unless Chris, like everybody's hoping that he can do is just bring in more shooters
0: yeah I mean I, I think that's prior, priority number one or two whatever you want to say for this off season they're going to have to get more shooters they're going to have to get guys who space the floor who can create off the bounce on the perimeter more guard talent in general is should certainly be what Maury, Maury is going for that regardless of what he thinks of Ben and Joel in their futures but you know with Ben like I don't think he's going to change like you said, and I frankly think that's fine. Do the Sixers... Would it be nice if he could shoot more? If he could at least like spread to the corner and take a few corner threes every game and knock them down at 32% or something? Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be a big step forward. And did I you just
1: think say 20? Should... Did you say 22%? I'm sorry. I didn't 32. hear that right.
0: <laughs> even, even 22. <laughs> Who knows? That'd still be 22%. A, you know, an upgrade over what's currently <laughs> happening. But even if it doesn't happen... Ben is so good as is, and I, I believe that Daryl is someone who can appreciate that. Uh, again, like, Ben should be shooting more. The Sixers should try to get him to shoot more. I'm not saying that isn't something that should be happening. But I don't think it's the number one most important thing that has to happen this offseason. You know? And should Joe maybe spend more time not in the post and facing up and, and picking rolls and hitting some spot-up threes? Maybe. I mean, you know, he's much more than a post-up big. I think a lot of the reasons he gets banged up the way he does is because he has to do too much in the post and that he doesn't get a ton of easy looks in this offense or as it has been set up in the past. So maybe you've, you know, invert the offense a little bit more and let Ben do more stuff inside. I don't know how it's going to look, but I, I, I do think, generally speaking, Maury is someone who will appreciate and build towards... Uh, Ben's talents as a player alright and we're going to move on now and talk we're going to project forward to the offseason and personnel moves that Maury might make perhaps to complement Ben and Joel Uriah do you think there are any players currently on the roster who are on the trade block now that Maury is in charge
1: Absolutely. This guy, he's, you know, I'm not going to say Matisse. Matisse is off limits. I know. And no, you thought I was going to say Ben, trade Ben. (laughs) No, see, I see. I'm weird in that. I, 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 he frustrates me. I want him to be successful in the Sixers. And I think with Doc Rivers, I'm willing to give him another Mm -hmm. year. I think I've grown on Doc in the past few weeks so we'll we'll see what he can do with these pieces, but in terms of who's mm-hmm. on the roster right now that's on the trade block, I definitely think that Josh Richardson has some value. We know that in the next year and a half, 2 years when he is looking for a new contract, he's going to be looking for upwards of 15, maybe even close to 20 million a year. And because we have so many max players, we won't be able to afford him. So if we trade him now, in the off season, we could get something in return. I'm not as optimistic about moving Horford or Tobias Harris because of how much time is on their contracts and how much money they make. I would really try and hold on to shake and Matisse because, you know, they're a, they're a steal. I mean, they they have good value. They have production left in them and they have room to grow. And because they don't count so much against the cap because they make so little, because they're very young players, I think we, we need to keep them and see what Doc can do with them. What about you? Who do you think's on the chopping block?
0: Yeah, I mean, broadly speaking, it's, you know, it's everyone who isn't Joel and Ben, right? And, and no one should be untouchable beyond those two. And we can argue that maybe even Ben and Joel shouldn't be untouchable, but they are. Yeah. But like you said, I, I don't have a ton of confidence in Tobias being moved. I think Al is more movable but it's going to be tough and just because Maury is a great executive doesn't mean other teams are going to be lining up to take Al Horford off his hands that's not really how it works <laughs> he's, he's still going to have to do a lot of legwork if that's going to be the case So, but like you said Josh Richardson I think is someone that they can probably flip for a better fit if not a better player I I would hold on to Shake too I think he makes a lot of sense whether he has to be the fifth starter or probably more comfortably he's uh, maybe a 25-minute-per-game guy off the bench. I think that's probably where he's best at, at this point in his career. And with Matisse, I, they shouldn't trade him for nothing, obviously. I, I understand that he's a very special defender, and he's very young still. He's 23, 24. So there's a lot of value there. But at the same time, if A, if it takes Matisse to get off of Tobias Oral Horford's contract, you do it. It's It's... Tough pill to swallow, but you do it because those contracts are so bad that you, you'd you be foolish not to. And B, if you can trade Matisse for, like, a starting caliber or even a sixth man caliber-like guard who can shoot and playmake at a high level, like, if you can swap Matisse for a Seth Curry or something, they probably can't. But if you can, you have to think about it. Because I, I do think he's a trade chip that Maury should about using just because he doesn't really fit with what the Sixers need he, he's not a shooter he doesn't do much of anything other than shoot threes that a middling rate on offense and with Joel and Ben being the players they are you, you know you it, it's hard to fit another guy into the rotation who especially in the postseason you know defenders can essentially ignore it, it's it's tough and I, I do think Matisse has a very bright future in the league. He might even be an all-defense type of player one day in the right situation. But for what his current skill set is and for what the Sixers need as they try to contend for a championship because that's what they've shelled out all this money to do, uh, I don't think Matisse is maybe as far off the table as, as you might want him to be, or I don't think he should be. But uh, other than that, I mean, everyone else is fair game, you know. If you can make something happen, that
1: I, I understand the significance of unloading uh, one of those two players that that make all this money, particularly Harris and Horford. Uh, and, and you're saying if if it takes including uh, Matisse in the package, then you do it. I, my argument is just still, if you look at the sample of of, of games that he played, and you look at his defensive potential. We know, and I know you've said this many times is that his offensive limitations really leave skepticism in terms of, is he going to grow into a shooter? Will he be able to hit up a spot of three pointer? Will he be able to dribble in traffic, which he was not good at all last year? I'm, I would really want to keep him at least another year or two to see if he could develop that jump shot, get to the rim with more consistency and finish with more, uh, more accuracy. So I I definitely want to keep Matisse. Shake, uh, not so sure if if I would keep him. I might depart with him before Matisse, Mm -hmm. but that's just me. That's just me.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think at this point it's I'd probably keep Shake over Matisse. I think you and I differ there, and I'm not saying again. I don't want to like undersell Matisse. He's he's really fun to watch, and he's a tremendous defensive player. He's a like a top-tier athlete, I think his athleticism, just in general, gets underrated a lot. Like the dude has some serious hops and some length and some instincts that are you just cannot teach. He's special, and I I, I fully appreciate that and understand that. But I honestly don't know if Philly's the best place for his development, just because mm-hmm. he, he doesn't fit. As I said, he I I mean he probably do better on on a team that's set up differently where he can get maybe some more minutes and some more reps offensively than he's going to be able to get with this team. I, I don't know. I think the Sixers are just built in a way that doesn't really help him, and I don't think he particularly helps them offensively. So it's, it's one of those situations where like, the ideal outcome is that major changes are made and Matisse is still on the roster next year. But if we're being honest with ourselves, the odds of major significant changes being made and Matisse still being on the roster are pretty slim. And I, I think that's just the state of things. All
1: right.
0: And just moving forward to the draft, how do you think Maury's going to approach that? You know, the Sixers have five picks in this year's draft if they don't trade any. Do you see him maybe trading some? And what kind of players do you think he's going to be targeting?
1: I think any of the second-round picks, if we if we have multiple, I, I'm pretty sure we do, we can depart with some of those I think the 21st pick in the first round is is something that the Sixers should keep if if they can because from all of the draft boards that I'm seeing and and some of the analysts who have really been looking at some of the players who will be available that late in the draft for the Sixers Tyrell Terry's name just keeps popping up and I've looked at his footage of him at Stanford his stats are pretty decent for being a freshman he kind of reminds me a little bit of Trey young an undersized point guard who can really shoot the lights out. But you know, that was in college. The three point line is further in and it's, you know, have such superb athletes running around swarming on the, on the perimeter like the NBA. So I think if we can keep that first round pick and if Tyrell Terry's there, the Sixers can go and grab him and, and start developing him because as of right now, your boy Neto, <laughs> he ain't coming back. And I, and I would much rather see someone like, like a, a Tyrell Terry come in and, and develop under Doc Rivers as a young guard. So, yeah, that's my take on the draft, uh, and and I think Tyrell Terry is, would be a nice fit for this team. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I mean, Terry Terry's going to be top ten on, on my personal board when it's all said and done. I really like him. I think if he's there at 21, he should probably be like – Numero uno on Philly's list. I think that'd be a great fit. I've seen like reports of him being tied to the Sixers already, which is positive. Um, maybe not positive in the sense that we all knew Matisse was the Sixers guy, and then they had to trade up to get him because everyone knew that. But positive in the sense that he makes a lot of sense on the court. And Trey Young might be a, a bit, uh, you know, aiming a bit high just because Trey was like averaging 30 and 10 as a freshman at Oklahoma, Trey, Trey's a different animal. But, you know, like maybe a slightly elevated version of Landry Schammett is probably okay. the range that you would put maybe put Terry in. And
1: yeah, I'll give, you that. This, I'll give you that. The
0: Sixers would really like to have Landry Shamut right now, I'm sure. So, yeah, any, anyone like that, he's one of the best shooters in the draft, uh, can hit a ton of difficult shots from deep all sorts of angles on the move standing still pulling up a talented shooter of that nature who can who have some point guard skills on the side is a, probably going to be right at home on this team so uh, i definitely like him desmond bain is another name i would watch any of those other point guards. there are a lot of point guards kind of in that mid to late first round range you know nico manion from arizona theo maladon from france rj hampton if he drops who played in new zealand last year all those guys are people that Philly should have their eyes on, just guard talent in general. Kira Lewis from Alabama, he's probably not going to get to 21 at this point, and frankly, I'm not sure if Terry will, but th- those are definitely the names they should be looking at. And with regards to the second-round picks, if you can package a couple of them, frankly, for another first, I-, I think you do it because as much as the Sixers need cheap young talent, they, they don't need five rookies on the roster next year. There's just not enough space. So if you can, instead of selling them for money to put in Josh Harris's pocket, you can maybe use them to get another first round pick or something of that nature.
1: All right. So we've covered the draft. We talked about Daryl Morey. Let's talk about some of the other developments from last week. Uh, Some things that Sixers fans could really get excited about. We know that the head coach is now Doc Rivers. But last week, they were able to bring in two new coaches to be his assistants. One of them actually worked with Doc Rivers in um, L.A. with the Clippers. And we're talking about Sam Cassell and Dan Burke. So, Chris, what are you thinking right now in terms of what these two assistant coaches mean to the Sixers, to Doc Rivers' system? Uh, What's your overall feeling on both of these guys?
0: Yeah, I mean, Doc. This has pretty much been the case with Doc for a while in L.A., obviously, but he, he draws in really good assistants. And Sam Cassell is a really great assistant. He's been working the sidelines for well over 10 years now. He spent a lot of time under Doc in L.A., as you mentioned. He's been interviewed a few times for head coaching positions, so we know he's respected around the league. He's someone who probably has a future as a head coach, and he can hopefully use Philadelphia as a springboard for that. And he's a former player. You know, he spent 15 years, I believe it was, in the NBA as a player. And he made the all-star team. He was a great player. A point guard, obviously has that has that knack for the game. So I, I think a great hire. And you mentioned Dan Burke. He's been with Indiana for 20 years, I believe. He, he's been a, a Pacers guy from the beginning, essentially. And with Indiana kind of shaking up their coaching staff, he obviously, you know, had to depart, you know. It's hard to get an assistant coach with twenty years of experience. That's that's a lot of years on the NBA on an NBA sideline. He's worked with a lot of great defensive players in Indiana. Even recently you can point to, you know, the Paul Georges, the Roy Hibberts, the Victor Olatipos of the world. A lot of really good defenders have gone through Indiana and he has by all accounts played a pretty big role in that. And you put him next to Dave Yeager, who himself is probably going to be, A, the lead assistant on Doc's bench and has always been kind of a defensive specialist in his own right. Those two hopefully help Doc figure out a really solid defensive game plan. The Sixers have some very talented defenders, as we know. Ben just made the the first-team all-defense. Joe has been in that discussion in the past. Joe has been a defensive player of the year candidate in the past. And Ben will be one in the near future, I'm sure. So the Sixers should be really solid on that end and Cassell can help offensively and just in general is a really solid name to have attached to your franchise. So by all means, it, you know, it should excite the fan base.
1: I'll tell you who else it would excite our our boy Lucas who, who couldn't be with us tonight, but it's all good. Shout out to Lucas right now. Uh, L- Lucas has really been looking to get Sam Cassell on the Sixers. I think he wanted him to be the head coach, but I'm sure he'll take the consolation prize of, of having him as an assistant. If I can, let me let me take you on a journey uh, back in the day, because I remember watching Sam Cassell when I was growing up. When he was with Houston, he was such a solid guard playing alongside Kenny Smith, Robert Horry, Mario Ellie, and of course, the dream, Hakeem Olajuwon. Once he got those two rings, his career just continued to ascend. And he went on to play for the Bucs, and I I believe he played against the 2001 Sixers. They had their own little big three with Ray Allen, uh, Big Dog Robinson, and Sam Cassell. So Cassell has been around. A lot of people, Chris, forget that uh, Cassell didn't just get two rings with Houston. He actually got another ring with Boston back in 2008. So right then and there, Chris, you have a former player who is now coach who's seen it all. He's played with great players. He's been coached by great coaches. And all of that experience is going to translate into what he can bring to this team. If anybody they should listen to when it comes to offense in that locker room for the Sixers, it is Sam Cassell. And and I think he's a great addition. And the fact that he worked with Doc tells you that there's some chemistry there. And that's something that fans can feel good about. Dan Burke, I'll be honest, I'm not as familiar with him, but I do, like you said earlier, defensively. He's definitely been uh, a a really great coach with other teams, particularly the Pacers, and I was doing some research. He actually uh, coached with the Portland Trailblazers back in the 90s, and he's been in many different playoff scenarios and situations, and pretty much wherever he's been, he's been in the top 10 of – defense is in the entire league. So shout out to Dan Burke for coming along and, and hopefully he can bring some of that experience and knowledge to the Sixers. So, so I'm excited overall. I I think it's a good supporting cast and I think doc is, is going to have plenty of help.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't think there are too many teams in the league with more just like coaching talent in like name brand cachet than the Sixers have. I think that's just part of the deal. When you get doc rivers as your head coach you can maybe say Brooklyn, you know, where they have, like, D'Antoni and Stoudemire and Jacques Vaughn bon and all those guys who are going to help Steve Nash along. I mean, it's really like Brooklyn and Philly when it comes to benches and just, like, depth of coaching talent. Like that, They're the cream of the crop. So I think given where the Sixers were when last season ended and our lack of certainty to have this great a coaching staff and this solid read on the front office finally – Is a really great place to be. So, uh, for all the uncertainty and all the complaining that you've heard on this pod for the past couple of months, (laughs) things could have gone a lot worse. Yeah, this is probably the best possible outcome, if you you know, relatively speaking, when you consider what you know that Celtic series, which was not fun. So, good stuff all around.
1: I actually know someone that thought that Brett Brown deserved another chance, Chris. Really. No. <laughs> no, I'm just wow. joking. I don't know anybody hey, in, the, in the Philly region that he thought he needed another, another team. team. Yeah, and, in, Australia, in Australia. In no. Australia,
0: yeah. No. He should be an NBA coach again,
1: 100%. Yeah, maybe he can go back and coach with Pop. Maybe he can get that, rekindle that magic no. with, with the Spurs. I don't head know. coach.
0: Okay, so he needs a coach for a rebuild. You know, just saying.
1: Oh, re, oh, oh, rebuild. He's the perfect man for that. <laughs> then they just need to hire Sam Hankey and they can reunite and start the there whole thing over again in Oklahoma. Yeah, man. I mean, OKC
0: yeah. already has like 30 picks lined up they're oh, halfway there.
1: They are. Which makes you wonder what they're going to do with Chris Paul. I I would Send really be. I, I wouldn't Moore, mind baby. it, Maybe. I wouldn't mind it. I, I wrote an article about it, and I think that Chris Paul coming to the Sixers could reap a lot of benefit for the team and, and a lot of the players. So Yeah. Time will tell. Please. Time will tell. I want it. All right, Chris, Let's let's move on. And this is our final piece of the evening, and we're going to get to our social media question of the week. We posted it on Facebook. We also posted it on Twitter. And the question of the week, it was multiple choice, my friends. It was... What should be Daryl Morey's main focus this offseason? Main focus. Here are the choices: A: bringing in shooters, B, making a big trade, C, hitting in the draft, or D, getting Ben to shoot three-pointers. So this week, I think we'll start with Facebook. On Facebook, a lot of people overwhelmingly just said A. But then there were some people that couldn't decide. It was, oh, A, B, C, and D. Or they would give us an order, A, C, B, and D. And then some people would put E. One guy put E, just bring me back my wife, or something random and weird. Oh, it had me cracking up. But the one response that stood out to me, Chris, is it caught me off guard because he was so emphatic about it without even using an exclamation point. So, Germ Edwards, Germ Edwards, J E R M. <laughs> He simply said, A, like a MF. Yeah. A, like a mother. Mm. So you guys figure that one out. So that just tells you how badly he thinks the Sixers need shooters. And overwhelmingly, a lot of people on Facebook said that. If I switch over to Twitter, we have a Twitter follower or a fan of the Sixers Sense. And it's at Sam underscore Laws seven. Here's what Sam had to say. Just like Germ, he said, A, we need to stop fantasizing about big trades and surround our stars with shooters and another ball handler, good role players who will make Embiid and Simmons go up to another level and make their lives easier. So are you going to join in on the on the bandwagon with, with the A that they need shooters, or do you have something else in mind?
0: Yeah, look, I mean, for as, as much as we have, bemoaned the Sixers' lack of shooters recently. It's not that hard to get like low-level veteran minimum role players who can shoot the ball. I, I mean, I think that's kind of a no-brainer, and that needs to be done is that they need to fill out the bench with guys who can space the floor. But in terms of really like instigating serious change and changing the direction of where this team is going, it's going to take a big trade or two. You know the sixers.
1: Mm, okay, All like right.
0: they aren't gonna win anything unless, like, they can't keep the current roster and add DJ Augustine and Kyle Korver and then expect to win the championship.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it's just not yeah. gonna
0: happen. Like, they should obviously like look into DJ Augustine and Kyle Korver, but that's not gonna that's not gonna change it enough. You need to try to trade Al. You need to at least like, in terms of an impact ball handler who can run point guard as as they said, you know, you're at least going to have to, like, part with Josh Richardson, maybe the 21st pick, maybe Matisse, maybe Shake. Like, you're going to have to move some important guys around to make those changes, to, you know, to make the big changes. And if you want to win a championship, you might have to go for someone like a Chris Paul or take the plunge on a year of Victor Oladipo if you can. Something like that to really shake the boat and to try to infuse this roster with, with the kind of star power preferably at guard necessary to to really put Philadelphia in the same class as the Brooklyn's and the Milwaukee's and the Miami's and the Boston's because right now as currently they just aren't there and without any cap space you know you got to trade that's the only other option is to trade guys and try to get there so i i would say b is probably where i would land
1: are you are you trying to get on espn chris because that that was such a sound response. I, I like your angle. I like how you explained it. Good for you, man. You didn't fall into the trap of bringing in shooters like everyone else. Not that they're wrong, but yeah, I, I agree with your point where you have to you have to make some big splashes and and those contracts of you know who. It's it's just going to keep. It's just there. It's it's the elephant in the room that just you can't get rid of it for obvious reasons, but I'm going to go, surprisingly, here we go. Shockingly. I'm going to go with D because (laughs) I I know you're thinking I'm beating a dead horse, right? Well, I just feel like, Chris, it's like, all right, you ready for my my analogy? I'm going to hit you with a movie. Ready? Mm -hmm. You you saw The Matrix, right? Yes. All right. When Neo finally realized his powers – Mm-hmm. what happened what happened the guy friggin' was stopping bullets uh, you know mm-hmm. machine gun bullets in midair he's poking him and fighting the dude the, the agent smith with one hand and he's, lo- he's looking at his watch at the same time if ben becomes neo from the matrix <laughs> yeah.
0: it's,
1: a, it's a wrap it's a wrap i'm telling you chris if doc or daryl morey or whoever can get through to this guy and say who cares if you miss just just take a couple. Even if, like you said, if he makes twenty two percent, that's better than zero percent. <laughs> but if if he unlocks that part of his game, we will win a championship. We will win. So I think if Daryl Morey somehow, some way can get through the bend, you know, have a meeting with him and the coach and 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 just encourage him, not twist his arm, but just say, Hey, you you can you can help the team in so many ways if you just shoot. And I think he he he, the the kid has so much potential, and I want him to succeed. But I don't know. I think he's the key. He's Neo.
0: Hey, fair enough, I guess. I, <laughs> I just disagree. don't think it's possible. Obviously, if Ben could, what do you mean? You don't Neo? think
1: it's po- you don't think it's possible to get okay. him to shoot, or that he can't shoot?
0: I I, I don't know, man. I I don't <laughs> think he's going to be the kind of shooter that drastically changes how this offense. Looks, you know, I don't think he's. I don't think it's be going to become the kind of weapon that changes how Doc Rivers approaches things. You know, I just don't think he's that kind of player. I think if you look at
1: Jason, if, if Kidd, you're going to
0: invest it, in Ben, you're going to invest in a guy who does does not space the floor. That's just how it is. He might I think, take a few. But defenses aren't going to respect it, and he's not going to probably not going to get to a level where defenses do respect
1: it. At some point, Chris, when, when Jason Kidd came into the league in 1993 and he played with Dallas, he was fast. He was a visionary. He had flair. He had confidence when it came to getting his teammates involved, alley-oops, running the break. He was an all-star at a very young mm-hmm. age, but he couldn't shoot a lick. He couldn't hit the side of a barn. But at some point, he had to, he had to keep trying until mm-hmm. he became a veteran, probably 10 years into the league. He started knocking down threes like nobody's business. So for Ben, if he could pattern his game and just watch some YouTube footage of Jason Kidd, <laughs> yeah, your, your jump shot sucks right now. But in three, four, five years, you could be that dude. You could be, as everybody touts him, you could be LeBron 2.0. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I see that in Ben If he can get to that level, so
0: I don't know. I mean, the thing is, like Kevin O'Connor, Kevin O'Connor kind of jokes about it, and it's become a bit of a meme at this point. But he really does shoot with the wrong hand, which is such a unique situation where it's just it does not look good and it doesn't look comfortable or right. And, And I don't know. I think Ben is just Jason Kidd also wasn't like a six ten freight train with yeah the musculature of LeBron James already. You know, that's Ben's built in a way and he is so stubborn with the way that he shoots. <laughs> I, I just don't yeah. think it's gonna happen. But hey, just before we like wrap things up, I, I just want everyone to visualize what this team would look like with a Ben Simmons or Russell Westbrook pairing. And then pray that it never happens, Because that would be the worst possible thing you could ever subject this fan base to. And they've been subjected to some crappy stuff. Like, if you thought the Marco fold situation was bad,
1: oh, yeah,
0: Russ and Ben is not it.
1: Yeah, run run from that duo on immediately. I, I pray that no. never happens. I'll agree with that one, Chris. I'll yes. agree with that one. And, and let me just say before before you sign off. You, you were trying to break down the mechanics of, of Ben shooting. I think my assessment of when I've seen him shoot, I've seen him shoot righty, I've, I've seen him shoot lefty. If he just got his elbow in and was more consistent with his wrist and, and his follow through, I think he can shoot. I mean, the three pointers that he's made and he swished. You know, in the season, mm-hmm. they were left handed and, and it was his elbow was in. Yeah. He looked like it was good form. I think he's been so ambidextrous his whole life, which was good to a point that now I think to your point, as a pro, he's developed such bad habits. He he never really committed to righty or lefty. So when he's in the paint and he does that little turnaround hook, he's always shooting at righty. So it's mm-hmm. it's confusing for him. And he can't get any continuity with his mechanics. So I, I would disagree. I think he can, he's supposed to shoot lefty, but he has to know that his right handed shots should be secondary only if he, he needs yeah. to use them in, a, in that situation.
0: Yeah. And I mean, like Ben can shoot. And like you said, it, it has happened. We've seen it happen. It's not, you know, it, it's not some hypothetical. Like he can shoot, he just has to do it more. And you're right. I do think it would be quite beneficial if he did become a good shooter, but I just don't think he's going to be a good enough shooter for it to carry more weight than like trading for a Chris Paul or a Victor Oladipo. I just don't think that level of shooting capacity is within the realm of possibility for Ben. I just don't think that's his game. But who knows? Stranger things have happened. We have seen very good We've seen the opposite happen with a great shooter who unlearned how to shoot. So maybe that was just karmic buildup to Ben becoming the next (laughs) step. Who
1: knows? Well, well now we know after this podcast that after you watch your movies for your term paper and you're watching the 1940 black and white classics, you got to watch The Matrix. Because you're going to be envisioning Ben Simmons, okay, uh, yes. unlocking and and just taking over the NBA, and you got to watch, you got to watch the last dance, man. You got to squeeze it in there somewhere because you don't know what you're missing. Yeah, I yeah, I agree,
0: I, I do. <laughs> and I I think that's it for this episode. Uh, we're recording this Sunday night, November first. This should be coming out Monday, November second. November third is Election Day, so if you have not voted yet. Which I have not. I plan to go to the polls on Tuesday. You need to get out, and you need to make your voice heard, and you need to head to the polls and cast your ballot. I, I strongly encourage everyone to do that. To get out and you know be prepared, wait in lines if you have to, set aside a chunk of time, and, and make it happen just with all that's going on in the world, we know, we know that it's tough. So, you, again, as we say every week, you guys spending an hour of your day just talk pictures with us means the world. And we'll be back soon, hopefully with some very exciting guests and conversations in the near future. So, thanks again, everyone.
1: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispie Sandwich.